Okay, welcome back to another episode of Two Pints of Water and a Packet of Whey. So this is episode two since the long break that me and Dan have had for the podcast. So today we have a guest on and it's a returning guest. We were just saying she's kind of like the podcast VIP. Uh, I think she's our most most uh, requested guest. So we've got Clara Swedlin back on the podcast. So Clara, for those who haven't heard you talk, so they basically haven't listened to any of our podcasts, do you want to give yourself a little bit of an intro before we get started? <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me back. It's really exciting, actually. Like I was just saying earlier that it's an overdue conversation. Uh, but yeah, my name is Clara. I'm a trainee ex- exercise psychologist mainly, but I also work in sport. Um, I'm also an online physique coach and I compete as a natural bodybuilder. Uh, and Dan specifically requested me to give a bit of background as to where I come from. I guess for a lot of people, my accent can be quite confusing, so I guess it makes sense. Uh, but I've got Aussie and Kiwi parents, and I grew up on the border between France and Spain. So that's a bit of background about me. Yeah. Yeah. So as I say, if if people don't know who you are by this point, they listen to our podcast, they clearly just haven't listened to any of our episodes. Um. So, so yeah, today's discussion is going to be a little bit of a different one from our last one. Um, so what we're going to be focused on in today's episode is the subject of eating, eating disorders, the psychology behind eating, um, things that people typically struggle with, and um, and hopefully you can take away, if you're listening to this, some things that will help with these issues. So we'll start off um, by talking about eating disorders and things that we've kind of experienced with clients, and then we can go into sort of the depths of it afterwards. So um in terms of eating disorders, I would say between the three of us, we've probably, am I right in saying we've probably dealt with quite a few clients that have had these issues, yeah? yeah. So in terms yeah. of eating disorders, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the topic, but as I say, um, as coaches, it's something that we deal with on quite a regular basis and something that you have to try and find um, ways of helping people to to deal with. So for you guys, do you find that most people struggle with food more in like a non-structured routine or a structured routine and before i get you to answer the reason i'm asking you this is because a lot of people in the industry now say and i hear this all the time on instagram that meal plans are unhealthy and they're too strict and they're restrictive and you know the bodybuilding lifestyle is is too much for normal people so i'll I'll start with you clara do you think like having a plan or having structure is a good thing or a bad thing if people struggle with eating Hmm, good question I guess it depends on the function of the structure (laughs) and I guess I'm already jumping into the deep end of the psychology of it but I think with anything in within fitness and especially with eating it's all about like the function that it serves for that person so if for an individual who for example struggles with binge eating and quite erratic kind of eating patterns where they kind of go through periods of restriction and then periods of overeating actually implementing some structure could be incredibly beneficial because that would regulate their hunger cues across the day however for someone who is maybe so used to eating in a structured manner and that has taken them away from actually noticing their hunger and satiety cues across the day perhaps having a kind of rigid structure that they can follow isn't so helpful because it takes away from them being attuned to their hunger and satiety cues. So I guess it just depends on, on, I suppose, like the difficulties that that person might be experiencing around food. Um, And if structure can help them get their meals in, get their, you know, macros, get whatever like nutritional elements that they need in across the day, then that's amazing. But if it takes away and if it then leads them to, you know, numb other feelings or push through, um, you know, emotions and other feelings that they really should be attending to, then I guess that structure might not be as helpful in that case. Oh, that's a really strong first answer. Dan? Okay, so I think for me, uh, and just with the people that I've dealt with, um, I think that, you know, if you've, if you're obviously a little bit more obese and, you know, you're carrying a bit of extra body fat, it's usually from the habits that you kind of built from a child mm-hmm. childhood sorry and what your parents have taught you so I think obviously I like it I like the structure and I think it can be really useful however I think if you're taking somebody from a pure beginner and somebody that's never dieted before and or you know properly dieted before uh, and then throwing them straight into structured meal plans 
I think it be, can be quite overwhelming for them because I think they'll do it for maybe five days, maybe a week. They'll have one meal off of that plan and they'll just say, fuck this shit. Mm. And they will just go, well, it's not working for me because I've had one bad meal out of it. But, and it's only because they they don't know how to like maybe swap things like for like or they're not educated around how to actually or what's the purpose of the structured meal plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there's exceptions to the case. I've worked with people that have just taken it like a duck to water um, and then but I would say probably say 70 to 80 percent of the time I especially with the demographic and the people I work with the meal plans just don't really work yeah I guess it depends sorry to jump in there but like it's that whole thing around like having structure but almost like the coaching pieces educating on the flexibility of it so rather than having it super rigid which is of course what many clients have maybe historically dealt with is like these rigid you know Atkins remove a whole food group like you know they're they're not used to having that flexibility within the structure and you know it's so it's such a hard thing to teach because the black and white thinking styles especially when it comes to food I mean it's pervasive it's why it's why we all have jobs in many ways I think um it can be so hard to break that because it's present not just in food it's present everywhere in the world I think especially the in the western world we kind of well I don't know about you guys but I was always brought up to believe that you should have three meals a day breakfast lunch and dinner and if you tell somebody that for 30 40 odd years and then say to them well actually if you don't feel like having breakfast you don't have to have it it's gonna be like oh no no that that just can't be true Mm -hmm. so you're right it comes from I think the better approach to it would be to give them the structure give them the plan but also they need the coaching around it is more what the point I'm trying to get to definitely yeah yeah, I'd agree with that. Right. So going back to what I was saying at the very start about eating disorders and binge eating. So I think binge eating is much more. Now we've touched on this. The three of us have touched on this in an episode before. It's much more common than what I feel most people would realize it is. And I think much more people deal with binge eating internally than they actually externally talk about. So mm-hmm. it's very, very common within um, people who are what I would call continuous dieters. So what I mean by that is the standard person who spends most of their life overweight or obese. And if you speak to them, they're always dieting. Every January, they're dieting. Every holiday they go on, they're dieting. They're forever dieters, right? They never actually get anywhere because one, they lack um, structure a lot of the time. And two, they're not consistent. So they never actually get to the end point, right? So in turn, what I think that creates is a negative loop. Okay. So what I mean by a negative loop is basically like a loop of negativity of failing a diet and then having what Dan described earlier is like the, the fuck it moment. And then because they've failed in their head, they think there's no point in dieting anyway. So then they just go and binge and eat what they want. The other type of binge that I see really regularly with clients and you guys can chip in on this after is like when people are following a diet and they build up quite a lot of hunger because they're in quite a large calorie deficit and they deal with it for let's say three to five days and then days six and seven typically speaking for a lot of clients it's like a saturday and sunday where they're out socializing and then again it's a bit of a like a fuck it moment and they binge so they've stuck to their let's hypothetically say a guy's on 1800 calories a day poor guy and uh (laughs) and then at the weekend he eats four and a half thousand calories on saturday and sunday which is easily done by the way anyone anyone could do that um that's what i would call kind of binge eating in a way and i think that's one of the most common cases that i see now i don't think let's say joe average joe let's say joe eats like 1800 a day and then he goes fuck it at the weekend i don't think he thinks that's binge eating and i think that's the way a lot of people view it i just think they think either they can't do it because they're so hungry or they've got to that point where they think it's not worth it because they haven't seen the scale move or they haven't seen like instant gratification results Mm -hmm. um so those are just a couple examples i think are very very common of binge eating disorders and things that as coaches we will see like weekly basically with clients yeah i guess it's worth distinguishing there with the binge eating between what's an objective binge and a subjective binge so 
objective binges are when you do like actually categorically consume a ton of calories in a short period of time but it's different from subjective binges which is when there's a lot of more psychological implications to that where someone really does get themselves down whether actually they have or haven't consumed a ton more calories in in that moment so what could happen for example is someone who is in an extended dieting phase for example and they have like one little blip and then because they feel like they've overeaten that little moment of subjective kind of overeating then leads to that objective and subjective experience of like eating more and it could be like they binge on something that realistically wouldn't wouldn't account for a ton of calories but say if you're a bikini girl and you're eating 1000 calories on a training day eating an extra 200 like it is kind of consequential in in many ways um but it is important to distinguish between that and it's always about I guess for that person who easily eats 4,500 calories on that weekend, how do they feel afterwards? Like, do they feel disheartened? Do they feel like crap? Does that reinforce the Monday again, I need to keep going? Or is it kind of like, whatever, I'm happy to keep doing this. And I'm happy if it means that I need to go a bit more aggressive during the week. And it's always about, you know, how you tackle one client who eats more on the weekends, but doesn't really care, doesn't really have a huge impact. Whereas another one who, even when they eat a little bit more, like really goes and into like a downward spiral, I guess the way that you tackle each situation is is pretty different. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with both everything that you guys have said, what the, the thing I think that's important and the more thing that I've seen is that people go from like, you know, as Matt kind of said, this negative loop where January they start, they fail, blah, 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 they get back on it again, is that they go from like binge drinking, binge eating, and then they go just super aggressive straight away, day one. Mm. And it's like day one, I've just spent probably the last couple of months in the summer, let's use summer, just because we're coming out the tail end of it. I've been on two holidays, there's been birthday parties, 40th, blah, 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 whatever. So then day one, 1600 calories, 15 hours of cardio, two hours in the gym. Right? <laughs> That's what people do, right? And then, oh, no. <laughs> then they go, 15 hours a bit excessive, but you, you can see the point I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And then they come to the weekend, and do you know what? Some people keep it up for a week, two weeks, possibly even a month. And then they just get to that point again of they're like, well, I've just, I, I want a beer. So then they think that one beer is quote-unquote bad which we know that there is no such thing really as good and bad and then they have that and then they just let that be their downfall again Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to combat that by noticing like why do they want a beer obviously it's a craving that they have or is it an emotional trigger like did something happen to them at work have they been in a stressful situation um, because if they have, that could be the trigger and that could be ultimately lead to why they're binging. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Now that takes it perfectly into what I was going to say next. So I was going to talk about triggers and what yeah. actually causes people to binge eat because, um, you know, the reality of doing it is usually triggered by something, I would say. Not in all cases. In some cases, it is completely habitual for people. Um, but triggers is something that I think a lot of people need to be made aware of when they're trying to quote unquote fix binge eating um, because triggers a lot of the time are the reason why people do it. So Clara, I think you're probably more well adverse to this part of it than me and Dan are. So do you want to kind of talk about triggers? and? Yeah, definitely. I guess, I mean, there's many different ways to think about it. And even from a psychological perspective, the way that one would approach someone who's struggling with these things, like it would depend very much on what the client or the person is presenting with. So you're right in saying that very often there is a trigger to kind of the behavior. And one of the simplest ways of thinking about it is I always call it like the ABC model. So the B is the behavior, the C is the consequence, and the A is the antecedent. So what happens before before the binge happens? Like what is that trigger? What's going on beforehand? And more importantly, after that behavior happens, after the binge and whatnot kind of unfolds, how does that person experience the consequences of that, particularly mentally? Like what kind of thoughts are showing up? What kind of feelings are showing up? And how does that loop then kind of keep itself going? In my experience, more often than not, when people struggle with 
food, particularly with like, again, you know, binge eating or restrictive patterns and whatnot, it's either because they're avoiding thoughts, feelings, sensations, or they're overly attached to thoughts, feelings, and sensations. So it's either like pulling them completely away or getting completely fused and all tangled up in their thoughts and feelings that they can't really escape it. So for example, if someone is feeling stressed at work and it's Friday afternoon, already they might be in part used to a Friday being a fuck it day, right? And so they're so used to Fridays. I finished work before I started working with the coach. Um, I would always go and get a takeaway and I'd move on with my life. And that's maybe what they've always done. They start working with a coach, but then it gets to Friday afternoon and they start noticing that they're really stressed with work. So what they might do is in order to avoid experiencing that stress, whether they're aware of it or not is a different question, uh, they might try to numb it by having some chocolate at work, for example. But as a result of that, they then start to feel guilty and they notice that it's not actually dealt with the stress. If anything, it's made them more stressed and they just get more and more tangled up in this process of, oh, but I've had the chocolate already. Oh, but I've ruined it. And just because they start overthinking and really kind of bringing that stress up into their face, they end up going, you know what, fuck it. I've had one chocolate bar, 100 calories, 150 at a push. That's me done. Fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, completely let myself almost like give in to the stress and as a result I'm going to kind of derail myself completely and I am speaking quite, quite generically similarly and I guess like on, on the flip side it's not just like avoiding those emotions but sometimes when we do get like say for example someone um wakes up on a Friday and they put on their work clothes and they feel fat how often do you hear that from your clients I felt fat today and because they start thinking and overthinking and thinking and overthinking about how fat they feel, how bad they feel, how this, how that. The only way they know how to cope or one of the only tools for coping with those feelings that they have is by numbing those feelings with food. And then they go to the food, they go to the alcohol and then that spiral starts again. So it's kind of this like constant, I suppose like battle between trying to avoid feelings, which is obviously impossible because we can't really control our feelings in that way all getting so fixated on them that we can't really move away. It's almost like the example I give, it's like a torch in the dark room. If you just light up on one thing and that's all you see, everything else is in darkness. So it doesn't matter if other, if you've got other experiences, if you've like succeeded a week, if like last Friday you did really well and you managed to kind of like ride the stress out. When you're so, so fixated on that one thought, it's all you can see. And of course, the more, I mean, another example, I love analogies and I love examples, but if you look at your fingertip, the longer you look at it, the more lines you see on it and the more detail shows up and the more you start thinking about your fingertip. It's exactly the same with stress, with feelings in our body, feeling fat, feeling tired in our clothes. The more we think about them, the more we focus on, oh my God, I'm going to binge. Oh my God, I really want chocolate. Oh my God, I really want chocolate. The harder it becomes to take that step away. And very often that's sort of that, that precursor, that antecedent to the behavior of then like binging and of course then the consequence never mind of course the fact that they have overeaten and say they have overconsumed calories kind of you know take them out of a deficit and whatnot it's just the psychological consequence people just get out the whip and they just start being the shit out of themselves internally and I mean when you're telling yourself that you're you know a fat piece of shit how on earth are you going to motivate yourself to pick up and and keep going the day after like it's it's just so hard yeah that's that's a really good way of, of describing it i like the little analogies used as well i'm definitely stealing fingertip i'm stealing that yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so another thing i wanted to go over just while we're here on the on the sort of topic of, of binge eating is i want to ask you guys what you do so i i find this um it probably comes up for all three of us the scenario where a client has let's say had a, a binge let's say it's saturday night i'd say that's probably the most common one for clients and Sunday or Monday, they'll say like, what do I do? And I always usually have the same reply to people. I always say, just get back to what you're doing prior to what you had a binge. I never, ever say, this is just me personally. You guys might be different, but I never say to people, right, I want you to restrict on the Sunday or the Monday. And I want you to try and work back those calories because for me, people will do that if you don't tell them to, to not do that. And then that just creates the same problem again. Mm -hmm. I, I think of it as what a lot of people will do is they'll try and rectify their mistake in their own head and the answer to that is like right the next day i won't eat breakfast and then i'll eat my breakfast at lunch i'll miss my lunch and then i'll just have dinner but what happens when they do that on the sunday is by sunday night they're having mad cravings again because the day before they've consumed all these extra calories that they're not used to 
hunger is now signaling eat, eat, eat because they've restricted the following day and then they get into the same mindset again. Whereas if they just went back to what they were doing Monday to Friday, I'm betting most of the time they wouldn't feel as hungry and they wouldn't have the same cravings. So Mm -hmm. that's personally what I say to clients, but I just wanted to see what you guys did and if you guys have the same approach. Yeah, I'll I'll go first since my internet's half decent at the moment. Um, For me personally, I... I'm the same as you. I don't believe in a hamster wheel. You know, you should be trying to work off what, you, what you've what you had. One thing I do um, get is I get them to normalize it, that sometimes things just don't go to plan and it can be okay to sometimes go off track. The second thing I kind of get to do is instead of being over restrictive with things and totally and utterly removing pleasurable foods within the diet, if you have a craving and it's during the week and it's a Tuesday night, allow yourself to have it because you can be stopping a big problem come the weekend. So, you know, it might only just be a chocolate bar or even a beer or a glass of wine, but it might stop that from like growing arms and legs at the weekend from then going out to have a binge. So it's noticing that, a, it's okay to have a little bit of a binge. Don't need to rectify it, but B, also let's not be over-restricted by removing foods out of things. If you have a craving for a chocolate bar, go and have one. Um, and that is found to be worked really well for me. Yeah, I but- would definitely agree. Yeah, just normalizing it, as you said, Dan, just and telling people to go back to baseline. It's a much kinder approach. And I think that that's what it emphasizes. It emphasizes that you don't need to punish yourself for making mistakes and it just makes it really normal and it just you know incorporates it into just part of being human and I think for most of my clients anyway like unless they're prepping unless we've got like pretty extreme goals and we do need to be a little bit more stringent I encourage all my clients to you know have an untracked meal once a week as long as they're communicating what they're eating what they're feeling and whatnot to me then that's all that matters and if they do have something that like say for example if I've got clients who find that they can't eat chocolate you know if I start I can't finish I purposefully put it into like their daily calorie plan or their daily meal plan or whatever it is that we're doing in small doses so that they get used to having it and so they break that relationship between bad naughty and and kind of normal healthy eating and if they can see that they can have some chocolate every single day still succeed not feel the need to eat 20 packets of it on the weekend then you're on for a winner because like over time that's creating a much more balanced approach because again it comes back to that whole like it's you know it it stops them from saying oh that's it that's me done i'm not having chocolate anymore are you fuck sharp like that's not true like why would and why would you ever want to do that to yourself like that's absurd so i i completely agree with both of you on that yeah yeah i just want to go back to what you said dan about um uh, i can't remember word for word so i'm paraphrasing but you said something along the lines of if you crave something eat it now that's that's a subjective thing because for me i have some clients that i definitely wouldn't say that's okay to be totally honest and i have some clients where i think yeah if they don't if they don't eat something that they really want they're probably going to have a really shit week rather than just have like a chocolate bar or whatever in the craving it doesn't have to be chocolate, but we'll use that example. But on the flip side, if you get someone who's, you know, like a more advanced client, let's say a prep client, Clara, for you, for example, would you have that same approach? I wouldn't. It would, it would just depend on the client. So yeah. I guess some people, cause I've got some clients who are robotic, who literally need to be told, have it. And you almost need to be like, take, take the, you know, unclean food and go for it and just sort of like let them, let them have it. And you're building flexibility around their discomfort with deviating from a plan. And to those, I would say, if you have a craving, have the food, especially if like, if they are in a gaining phase, if they're in a maintenance phase, like I would always encourage it. For other clients who maybe struggle a little bit more, I wouldn't say have it straight away. I would say, okay, can we pause? Can you maybe assess? where your hunger is, where your satiety is, is there any feelings that you're maybe needing to make room for in this instance before you use food to numb whatever it is that you're feeling like? Is the, is it kind of a response to something else that's going on? Again, I suppose it depends on on like the type of clients that I work with. Um, but yeah, some of them I would say have it, 
go for it. And others, I would say, okay, you're noticing that craving. That's great. What is it signaling to you? Like, how did that craving show up? Give me a bit more around the context. And then they go, oh, yeah, well, you know, I had an argument. I was getting really uptight. Um, I was, you know, this, this or whatever was happening. And then you kind of help them address that situation in a bit more depth um, before telling them, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So just to make us sound a little bit more human, so we're not all like coachy coachy on here. Um, I want to talk about situations where we've all done it, where we've yeah. all went off plan or binge. Cause I think like it is good for people to hear that. And it is also like, showing like a different side that we understand it because you know i've said to clients in the past like i understand and i can see just from their facial expression they're like no you don't (laughs) you know know, you can you know what i mean when you're having a conversation with someone you don't need words to understand what someone's thinking in their eyes you know and um and i've sometimes said to people like no honestly i get it so like let's let's all tell a story of when we binged just for people listening dan do you want to go first uh yeah I mean I have binged lots in my life like I used to be massively obese and you know you don't get there without a bit of binge eating so give us your worst one give us your biggest binge biggest binge like I always kind of used holidays as an excuse to just eat everything I think I recorded I think I had like I ate out five times in one day plus drank um tons and then well, I'm really bad, honestly. And when I say eat out, you guys might think that I need to sit at an a la carte restaurant. It literally was like McDonald's breakfast. And then we grab a donut, ice cream. Uh, I would then go somewhere for lunch and I'd constantly be picking up food the whole time. Pringles, crisps. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was, I think my worst day was five. We'll say five takeaways in one day, pretty much. Clara? Can you give us a story? Oh, <clears throat> many. I've got many. I've got like more past. I used to struggle with binge eating. Um, like five, was it five years ago? Yeah, six, six to five years ago, something like that. Um, and my worst memories of it would be like restricting food all day on a Saturday because that used to be like my binge day. So I would restrict food all day. I would have loads of sugar-free water, sugar-free juices chewing gum to the point where like I can no longer eat chewing gum not wanting to be TMI but like even just a little bit of that type of sweetener like just offsets my GI system it is that bad because I abused it so much when I struggled the most with binge eating so fun fact right there about me (laughs) but um the worst examples would have been yeah finishing work on a Saturday um again this is like five years ago and literally walking out of work with my all my gym gear in my bag and walking straight past the gym and stopping in like every little supermarket and maybe spending like five to ten pounds in each place buying junk eating it until I got to the next supermarket so like almost telling myself oh it's fine because I will walk 40 minutes home while I binge to you know to compensate for this food and I would get home and then I'd order a large pizza and get myself a pint of ice cream um that's like a while ago more recently when I finished prep in December so we're recording this now in September um I finished prep and the week after was a week leading up to Christmas which was horrendous I can't even explain how hard like not just mentally just physically I felt like disgusting because in my body because I was eating more I wasn't training as normal every time I've prepped I've kind of gone back to training cardio and I've been able to reverse properly whereas this time because it was Christmas I'd done such a long prep I was fucking done with it um it was it was awful and I can't like there wasn't necessarily like a binge per se but I did make this like Ferrero Rocher cheesecake and like oh my god see when I was baking it it was just I just kept getting in there and nobody else wanted it in my house and I was like I use mental like I am going to demolish this thing myself I didn't because I think experiences taught me to to actually pay attention to when I feel hungry and satisfied but holy fuck it was it was dreadful and again I I don't feel like it was a on paper overeating binge but oh in my head it, it was it was dreadful and kind of that whole those few weeks after prep it was oh it was really hard because I had so much chocolate it was Christmas I hadn't had any of it because I'd been prepping from like you know July till fucking December yeah. 
oh it was it was so hard for sure so yeah that would be the most recent one i'd say yeah as i say it's, it's good for people to hear it because we have done it as well um and i want to talk about the post-show side of things in a minute um oh, give us your best your worst example of a binge though. yeah so I'm, I'm getting there i'm getting there so when i competed for the very first time i did the it was the silver city at the time it's now known as the granite city it was my first ever show and uh i finished it so this is like the first ever time i'd been like seriously bodybuilding lean before mm-hmm. that i was like just a skinny guy basically and then i started bodybuilding then i did a prep yeah. so dan you still with us dan, yeah. Come- yeah okay um so so yeah basically post show i just went absolutely nuts and clara you, you're not from aberdeen so you won't know this place but dan will know this place so there's a place where i used to live across from in my flat at the time called snappy pizza people listening from aberdeen will know this place it's like a, a pizza place and um they do a pizza or they did a pizza this is a while ago now this is almost 10 years ago and uh it was called the beast pizza so it was basically like a party pizza and you'd buy it for like 20 people honestly like the pizza size is ridiculous it's like the size of a table and i i i lived across from it so i smelled it every single night i would get i would get a whiff of this pizza place and i would like tell myself right after the show i'm gonna nail that i'm actually gonna nail that and uh so after the show i just went straight there because it was across from my flat and i got one and um i ate so much of it that I looked like um, I had some sort of like, I can't remember what you call it, that syndrome that, that malnourished kids get. You know, oh, with like the sticky yeah, yeah. Call that again. It's like a 20 month old baby in there. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So I looked like that. Um, and wow. it was horrific. And I, I couldn't sleep because my body was just in overdrive with all the oh, saturated okay. fat and everything, trying to digest it. And, uh, and the next morning, so the show was on a Sunday and I basically just ate all night. It was disgusting. And then oh, in the morning no. I woke up with my flatmate. So he woke up at like half five to go to work on the Monday uh-huh. and I with him and had like the rest, whatever was left for my breakfast. Oh no. <laughs> I know. I know. So you can imagine the state of my digestion for the next two, three days. Oh, it's brutal. Just- and I think like we've all been there. Like it's, yeah. and it's so challenging, especially pro-show because you've been especially after your first show you've been thinking about food for so long like I'm so grateful the first time I competed um I went straight to London after for like three days and when I was in London it was I was on a seafood diet like seafood eat food like I was literally eating so much but because I'd like done that while we were away from home by the time I got back it was almost like done and over with three days of eating loads and then I was kind of like back on plan and that really helped me um because otherwise, I, I mean, I overate like every single day I went to bed and I was like, well, that was disgusting. I'm not doing that again tomorrow. And then I wake up and be like, oh, what am I going to eat today? Uh, <laughs> I think it's just the nature of a first prep. Like we've all, it, it's it's hard to not make the, those mistakes at least once. And if anything, it just teaches us from experience. I mean, I always say first time a bodybuilder is now are so lucky because the amount of information out there, like this podcast is is so helpful, but like, I didn't fucking have that. I was so lost. And it's just, yeah, I, I'm glad that it's better now and that people do have a bit more content to su- you know, to support them in that journey. I agree with you. And I think it's important. I wanted to talk about the post-show side of things, yeah. especially with you, Clara, because me and you have spoke about it just in, in private messages before. And uh, I think it's something that a lot of people just aren't ready for. And I was definitely in that situation. I know you were as well. The first time we competed, it was the same um and you're right there's tons of information now i mean i could i could go on my podcast app on my phone and find 50 podcasts literally on post-show diet literally Mm -hmm. just on that topic um so i wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit because there are going to be people looking to compete this year looking to compete next year who are in that situation or going to be in that situation so um you know let's just talk a little bit about what it's like first of all what it feels like post-show um so a couple of things i've experienced and I know others experience is like it's to do with like your your ghrelin the hunger hormone and it's it's basically like a you feel like no matter how much you eat you're not satisfied and you're not full um and that's definitely something that you have to in my opinion anyway you have to learn how to deal with Mm -hmm. because if you give into it and you sort of let it consume you you'll just never stop eating and then you'll put on a ton of body fat and you'll feel terrible and you'll ruin your training for the next six months pretty much. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the main thing I think that's difficult for people. Yeah. Um, and uh, would you agree with that or? 
Oh, 100%. I think yeah. like you're just, especially because the thing is that you, like bodybuilders, one thing that in order to be a successful bodybuilder, and by success, I mean someone who actually makes it to stage and looks good on stage. In order to be a successful bodybuilder, you need to be really fucking good at ignoring your hunger and your satiety cues. Like you need to basically develop an ability to just kind of push that aside and carry on with your day which is something that no one's ever taught because why on earth would we want to ignore our hunger and satiety cues if we actually paid attention to them we'd have a much healthier nation i think but anyway so you get really good at that and then once the show is away and because you've not got like this massive focused goal it's almost like okay i no longer need to ignore these things but because you've been ignoring them for so long you just have no way of gauging when you're like when you're hungry when you're full are you hungry at your normal meal times are you full after you've eaten them do you want to eat more or less and it's it's so confusing and because you've got that obviously your hunger hormones are all over the place because now your body's telling you shit you know you can't actually eat like let's go let's pack it on you've got that and at the same time you're struggling with the idea of like i can eat these things but I'm going to gain body weight, but I've worked so hard to lose all this body fat, but I can, and I really need to gain body weight. And it's just like this whole inner mechanics of like back and forth, back and forth. And very often what people experience, and I think the reason why it's so challenging, and I might be speaking here more to women's experience as opposed to men's, I'm not too sure. Uh, I don't want to make it like a gendered issue, but like very often it is just the case that you start to wonder how the fuck was I able to be so disciplined on prep and yet now one bite of chocolate and I'm literally deep throwing this whole fucking bar before I know it like how is that possible but it's true it's true and anyone who's listening to us like everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about like and you're just thinking how is it possible when I was able to have like one square of dark chocolate in my eyes like when I was having you know 20 grams of fat a day for months how the fuck could I do that and it's it's so confusing and you start to think does this make me less of a bodybuilder? And because it's such a kind of insulated, shameful experience that we that we have in our own private lives, no one talks about it. And it just kind of adds fuel to fire where you think, oh my God, I'm the worst bodybuilder ever. All these people on Instagram liking all my post-show pictures and I'm here and I feel like a fat fuck. And it's it's so hard. I think, you know, it's that, and it's constant. And it, it's almost like you have to go through, you know, everyone says those first six weeks post-show, you're going to look a bit shit. Like, you're not going to look good. You're going to look a bit watery. You're going to look a bit soft around the edges until you kind of get more into that off-season shape that you start to look like you've got a bit more to you. But it's just, it's such an awkward phase. And I don't think, no matter, podcasts are great because they, they tell you that it's normal and you can normalize it. But nothing can really prepare you for what it's going to feel like, I don't think. Yes, I agree with pretty much everything you've just said, especially yeah. deep throat and chocolate bar. Right? <laughs> Everyone's been there. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say as well is, like, basically what you finished on there, Clara. So, like, nothing will actually physically prepare you for that feeling. Mm. And because I remember after my first diet and phase where I did a show, I, uh, I obviously went nuts and had beats and stuff. But I did... I did kind of gain weight quite quickly, but I don't think I was too bad. I've heard some real horror stories post-show. And ever since then, I feel like every single time I've competed personally, this is just my experience, I've got a lot better with it. And I think that's just come because I've practiced it. You know, it's something that I've practiced and something that I'm very, very intuitive with. And if I if I'm post show, like let's say right now, I'm I'm months on from being I'm out of that post show period now. But when I was in it, let's say I was four weeks post show right now, if I had a meal, I'd probably still feel hunger. I would still yeah. feel that signal to eat more because my yeah. body's in such a it's been in such a depleted, deprived state for so long that yeah. effectively our bodies are survival units and they're just trying to fatten you up. So yeah. that hunger signal isn't going to disappear until you gain body fat. So yeah. I think it's recognizing that understanding you don't actually need more food and that in time as you gain body fat slowly you'll actually be a lot better for it in the long run yeah but like what you said that does almost take time to learn it's very difficult to know that the very first time you're there and the thing is also like when your diet is done like no one wants to feel hungry when the diet is done and i think that's that challenging thing is that no one wants to it's one thing enduring it when you've got the goal when when whatnot is is still upcoming but when you're done with it 
having to keep going it's almost like extending the feeling of prep and I think with that in mind though like people can go both ways like you often see people who hold on to the leanness for too long and actually that can also be quite problematic and I guess it, it in both ways it unpacks a lot of different issues but I mean I've heard you know horror stories of people gaining you know 12 kilos female like bikini girls 12 kilos in the span of two weeks which is insane like that must be so uncomfortable like that just never mind like the weight and whatnot but like that just internally must feel fucking horrendous um but it is really challenging and it's kind of going through those motions and finding ways to deal with it better like I found my first two preps managed the reverse a lot better than I thought because I was like super prepared this prep around I found that so much harder because a I went straight into Christmas came back I had a week it was back to New Year's Eve and then we went on holiday the week after so it was almost like three weeks per show before I was kind of back into a normal routine and that threw me and I you know I did struggle with that in terms of I was trying trying my best to you know kind of regulate my food sometimes try almost like I couldn't see my mind slipping into that restrictive pattern of going okay I'm gonna skip my breakfast because I know we're going out for food later on and I know that I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna I know I'm gonna do that and that it was just really challenging it wasn't actually helping me at all but it was it was so hard because I knew also that obviously I'm getting I mean I'm getting married next month and I was like in my head thinking right well I know that I'm getting married. I know I'll have to kind of start dieting probably around about this time. I don't want to make this wedding diet phase really hard for myself because I'm not going through another prep again, saying that it has, I had to diet kind of to quote unquote extremes to be able to enjoy a flexible summer, but that's a different story. Um, And I was really trying to keep everything super controlled, but paradoxically, the more I tried to control it, the harder it became. And it wasn't until I went, you know what? just just breathe just just let it happen that I was able to kind of like engage with the off season feel a lot better be more attuned to how how hungry I actually was and you know respond accordingly or actually manage my intake in in ways that were more helpful for my goals I think that'll be really helpful for for people listening to this because a lot of people they kind of just want to hear something that applies to them and what you just said will definitely apply to people who are dieting and listening to this podcast so another thing i want to ask you clara and me and dan can maybe go after you is if you have any little nuggets of like information or tips or little strategies that you use not with clients you personally that you use to offset hunger or to stop yourself overeating because i've got a few and i just want to see if you had any that you use personally yeah i mean i guess it depends on where I'm at and kind of what state of mind I am I mean um typically I try to kind of pause for a second and be quite mindful around like my hunger and satiety so I use a hunger and satiety scale with my clients I, I use that what myself when I was kind of moving out of binge restrict patterns and essentially just like it's a scale from one to ten um from one being like extremely hungry 10 being so full I, I could be sick and five kind of being like in the middle satisfied and just pausing for enough time to sort of assess how hungry I actually am is really helpful to kind of go, okay, yes, I would like to eat. No, I'm actually fine. I can wait for a little bit longer. Um, I guess when I am in a dieting phase, and actually it is important to maintain that calorie deficit, just accepting that I'm hungry and not hungry and not trying to fight it is a really helpful way to think about it. So just almost like acknowledging it and not one of the things that I learned this prep was that not trying to avoid hunger makes you less hungry, which again, sounds paradoxical. But when you see a lot of people when they're on prep, they're like fucking cauliflower rice. They're shoving all the sweetness on the food. They're just like, they're just taking the veggies and everything to such an extreme because they're trying to not feel hungry. When realistically, you're going to be hungry because you're in a calorie deficit. So actually not trying to avoid hunger and just almost like accepting it and saying, you know what? Yeah, well, I, I can notice that I'm hungry. Okay, move on. What I said earlier about fusing with those ideas and like really focusing on your hunger, when you sort of step away from it, it's a lot easier to deal with it. So I found that to be helpful. Obviously things like, you know, drinking water, flavored like infusions, teas, like when you are in the dieting phase can be really helpful. But I think just that the mindfulness uh, in terms of noticing how hungry and satisfied you actually are and then mindful eating I think I may have spoken about this in that first podcast we did like two years two and a bit years ago Uh, but taking your time with meals and making sure that as you're eating again you're kind of like paying attention to how hungry you feel and I know it sounds a bit woo-woo but 
the amount of people that like just shove a meal into their mouth in like three minutes and it's gone they've not even chewed I don't even understand how they don't choke that you know it was realistically that like you see people eating you're like what the fuck you're an animal um no I mean not to be disrespectful to anyone who listens to this who eats really quickly but if you are struggling with hunger or if you're trying to manage your hunger and satiety eating slower can be so helpful and you don't have to be like chewing and noticing the textures in your mouth if you want to you can but you don't have to one of the things that helped me um when I was again moving through those binge restrict patterns I would just watch YouTube videos that were like 10 to 15 minutes long and I would make sure that my meal would last me the video so I was still entertained I wasn't like fully present in the moment but it was allowing me to time my meals a little bit better and that I found was really helpful because I don't know the exact science or the research, but essentially it takes your brain a while to actually process the fact that you're eating. Yeah, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're hungry and you start eating, actually giving your brain a chance to cock onto it and giving your stomach a chance to cock onto it can be really helpful. And so for anyone who is in a dieting phase, maybe like coming out of prep, who's maybe just wanting to be a bit more attuned to their hunger and to their satiety, doing that can, it can really make a big difference because again, you're just, you're allowing yourself to notice because it's not, one thing is finishing a meal and going, oh, I want dessert. It was actually, if you give yourself a bit of time, you can go, actually, I'm quite full right now. And if I was to eat, like maybe I could eat, but if I was to eat, I'd probably feel too full. And then I'd feel uncomfortable. And then I tell myself that I ruined it. And then I'd go and eat more because I feel so bad because I've ruined it. Do you see what I mean? So that's, those are, I'd say the main things that I use for myself, especially. One of my favorite things that you mentioned there, Clara, was the embracing the hunger element. Mm. So that's something that I think personally I have learned over the years. And I've, I've tried to explain it to some clients, particularly like intermediate advanced clients. It's not something I'd necessarily address with a beginner, someone yeah. who's in their first dieting phase. Um, yeah. I remember like during prep, obviously, you know, you've been there yourself, Clara, you're going to feel hungry. Like you have to embrace that. And I would, I would convince myself, this is absolute rubbish, but I would convince myself if I was going to bed at night, and I felt that hunger, you know, that bottomless pit of your stomach feeling, I would convince myself I'm getting leaner. Yeah. And because I'm in that set in that stage, I'm like, I'm burning body fat. And that's what like yeah. motivated me through it. And 100%. I that- it's is it's like on the days on prep where you literally feel like a dementor is coming, like suck the living life out of you. And you just and you just want to do nothing I think to what helps me on those days is thinking there's going to be a drop tomorrow in the scales like I can feel it in my bones because I feel like a sack of shit but I know this is good and it's just like getting into that mindset I suppose as you say you know it's different what you tell yourself and what is useful depending on whether you are in prep and you want and you really want to kind of use that uh you know the pain is good this is going to get me to my goals like that's super useful in that context post-show again it's sort of like you want to you'd use slightly different techniques but I I completely agree like embracing the hunger at times like it's a it's a necessary evil in a way yeah and I think as well once you get your head around the fact that like you've accepted like internally not speaking out loud like internally look I'm gonna be hungry I think accepting that is actually like half the battle I know that sounds really simplistic it is If, if you just accept look I'm gonna be in a calorie deficit I'm gonna be taking in less calories than my body needs to be in maintenance. So my body has to use my stored fat as an energy source and I'm gonna burn adipose tissue. Once you wrap your head around that concept and you think, okay, a little bit of hunger is gonna provide that response for my body. Mm. Okay, I can deal with that. Yeah. Whereas I think if you think, right, I need to try everything I can to avoid hunger, that's quite a negative mindset in my head. Like I don't I don't like people to think about it like that. And no, you mentioned it with veg, skinny sauces, all that stuff, it's like, it's trying to put a plaster over hunger, isn't it, really? Yeah, which is impossible because if you're going to be in a calorie deficit like you are, especially when we're talking about extremes, when we're talking about bodybuilding or even like doing a photo shoot, like a, a re- getting really lean for a photo shoot type of photo shoot, like you, you're going to have to be hungry. Like there's no other way of achieving that look, unfortunately. And I think it always comes to like a crux point. I think those of us who've competed a few times, know where that balance is like I know that I get to a certain body weight I'm like it's kind of it's okay I can manage quite well past that point I'm digging and I can feel that I'm digging and I know it's going to get harder but it's almost like well I I understand that to get past that point like it's just gonna like I I need it to feel harder in a way and if you just that's why first prep is so is so challenging because 
when has anybody ever had to push themselves to that extreme? Like, why would you do that? You know, like there's one thing getting to a lean physique and a maintainable lean physique and, you know, getting lean for a show is a whole different ball game. And that's when you start to play, you have to play mind games with yourself, you know, to, to push through, especially, I mean, you had a, quite a long season this year. I had a long season last, you know, I was prepping for 24 weeks. I was reverse dieting out by the end of it. Like, you know, my calories were, much higher than they are now when I was, you know, one week up from my last show. Um, because I'd been able, I'd been dieting for that long and I'd been digging for that long that I could push my food up and maintain. But Jesus Christ, to get to that point, it was horrendously hard, but I had to, had to push it there. And I knew that if I didn't, I wasn't going to look good on stage. And, you know, at that point, looking good on stage was far more important to me than feeling moderately satisfied in terms of food because there was no amount of food that was actually going to fill that hole. So, you know, you just have to embrace it. There's one thing you said in a podcast ages ago, Clara, and it's actually stuck with me. So I'm due you a thank you for it. Sure. Uh, when you said you were talking about how um, when you are feeling hungry, one of the things you thought about, and I think this is when you're reverting back to your mindset, when you were um, in your sort of binging phase, Mm-hmm. and you said on the podcast that food is always going to be there you were like yeah. food will still be in the shops and food will still be there your meals your dinners out that you're craving will always be there post-show and mm-hmm. I actually thought of that quite a lot when I yeah. was when I was prepping I thought you know what oh, food is going to be there. so like there's no reason to even consider it and exactly. I, I must say this prep more than any prep ever I've I never had any problems with like cravings I never mm-hmm. had a problem with wanting to go off plan not that I would but like it wasn't even on my mind you know because yeah. I just had had the right mindset you know and and it helps to remind us of that and I think it's something that I use with my clients all the time it's just like saying you know well it's okay like these experiences are going to be there at the end of it especially for like the menial kind of like oh I just want to have some ice cream it's like well ice cream's always going to be there like you know you've got your holiday in a few weeks you've got your photo shoot coming up like that's not going away and actually can you hold off a little bit and I think I want to say we spoke about this or either that or you guys have spoken about it in a different podcast I've listened to but kind of that ability to embrace that delayed gratification where we're in such a society that's used to giving us things straight away no one it's almost like we've lost the ability to work on something for a consistent period of time. And I'm not talking just about physiques here. I'm talking about like studying. Like it's like people just want to do something and like learn it straight away and acquire the skill and boom, there you go. Overnight, download an app and, and you're sorted. And I mean, it's um developing that ability. And I think, yeah, uh, developing that ability through bodybuilding, through dieting and whatnot, it comes in handy in so many different aspects of life. I say this over and over again, had I not prepped in 2019, I think I would have struggled so much more with the COVID pandemic because I wouldn't have had that ability to just be like, you know what, it's okay, it will pass, just write it out, it'll be fine, you know, things will go back to normal, things will feel normal again eventually. I think like prep just prepared, like prepared me mentally more for that and I think that's why in so many ways fitness and health and dieting and food and taking care of yourself translate to so many other areas of life it's because it's not it's skills that we apply to that but actually they translate to so many more things in life it builds resilience yes they yeah. do Mental toughness all the way yeah so another thing we're going off on tangents as usual but <laughs> another couple of things that I, i've told a few clients over the years and uh, it's just things that i do personally um to offset hunger or to stop yourself overeating is um gum which you mentioned that you can't do anymore clara but unfortunately for me but yeah (laughs) it's something that i do um i find as well like a a diet drink like a coke syrup something like that really handy particularly with clients um who have got a really sweet tooth because it's gonna it's gonna just offset that little craving and i find for me it really helps as well Mm. um and another thing is after a meal if you still feel hungry if you're if your last meal of the day doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates in it or it's quite a small meal or whatever and you still feel that that hunger hunger signal is still there once you've had the meal go and brush your teeth that's something say brush your teeth i was i was expecting you to say that yeah. yeah brushing your teeth is a it's a weird one but it just because you're so used to brushing your teeth by the time the day is done like it almost kind of like that's it and i mean sometimes you just have to you know go to bed for dinner and because you've had your last meal of the day at 4 30 because you were starving and you know 
it's a part of the process for the for these extremes but i would say that brushing your teeth definitely can help but yeah flavored teas um sugary juices again i guess for some people it's take don't like making sure they don't take it to the extreme like like for example someone who is in that binge cycle trying to really restrict their intake you know five diet cokes in a day you know if nothing else you'll feel bloated because of the diarrhea that's about to ensue but you know, do you know what I mean like and we're just making sure that people do know that they can have these things uh and also like reminding people that the food doesn't have to be fucking bland I don't know if you guys saw like these people on like TikTok these like young bodybuilders I mean like 18 years old eating dry plain chicken and I'm thinking oh my god buy yourself some salt or something at least but you know teaching clients that they can that they don't have to eat bland food that they can use you know ketchup ketchup is like the og you know for all bodybuilders i think we carry it around in our lives salsa i use that all the time mustard other things that can help them you know um as a snack and whatnot um or to like make meals a bit more exciting but there's many many ways and the, the thing is that at the end of the day, bodybuilders or the people who can successfully step on stage and get lean enough to step on stage, there's nothing that special. Like we don't possess this like weird skill, uh, which is very, I, I would say we're, the more I've thought about it, the more I think that bodybuilders are very good at ignoring how they feel because it's almost like you need to be able to do that. Whether that's functional or not outside of bodybuilding, I'm not too sure about. But anyway, you know, you, we need to be really good at, at ignoring our hunger in society. It comes with practice. But other than that, if you're interested in bodybuilding, like technically anybody can do it. I think it yeah. just it takes a very specific type of a um, personality to to want to put yourself through that uh and it doesn't mean just because everyone can do it doesn't mean I would recommend anybody tries it or everybody tries that's, it that's very good advice I would yeah. say you need to be a little bit crazy just a little yeah you don't need to be 100% crazy but you need to have a little bit of psycho in you to be a bodybuilder um yeah. right Dan I'm gonna come to you because nobody's heard you talking about three years so um <laughs> You guys you take want- a breath, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, do you want to tell the people listening to this any strategies that you use or any tips that you have for stopping yourself overeating or things you use with clients that we haven't already mentioned? I mean, there's nothing because you two have stolen all my answers. But um, no, I think I'm, I'm maybe more the thing I go to is being like really mindful and actually like it's not really spoken about enough to actually just like sit down and actually just have a think like do I need to eat right now am I just doing it because I'm bored like if I'm craving something is it something because I've walked past the cafe and I've like smelt it like do I actually need to go and get it or when I walk down the street and turn the corner I'm probably gonna forget about it like yeah just taking the time to actually like be inside your thoughts and be like right I can't wait Will I feel the same in a couple of minutes time? Do I actually need this? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And a big one for me is accepting the hunger, especially when you're in a deficit uh, and just realizing that, yeah, sometimes it is going to suck, but it sucks for everyone. It's not just you. You're not like this special case where the dieting gods have been like, we're going to make it really suck for you. It's shit for everyone. And like, I might not have done shows and preps but I have cut like a lot of weight for comps for judo. I've did like 16 kilos in a month to make an under 81 kilo category before. And like, I can tell you, I've had near about 1200 calories a day for a couple, for like a couple of weeks whilst training hard. And like, so I might not have prolonged it. I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I might not have prolonged it over like 24 weeks but it still doesn't mean that I haven't like I've been the same as you guys like hallucinating bloody food at night when I go to bed and having to dodge burgers being thrown at me imaginary in my room you know like I've been through these hard times myself but a big thing for me that I learned was like accept it it's gonna happen especially if you're being aggressive with things like the more aggressive you are the more thoughts you're gonna have um and you have to be, you have to normalize that. And yeah, it sucks for everyone, not just for you. Yeah, I like what you said about kind of, well, what I was hearing is that it's about not being reactive to it. Yeah. Just like, and I think it applies to so many other things too, in the same way that like, 
you know, clients might react sometimes to having a shit day or like not feeling great when they wake up. And then like that offsets everything for the day. They're training. They're just like going to the gym. They're in a grumpy mood or they skip the gym and like everything just goes to fuck. Learning to not be reactive when it comes to these things more generally, like it's so helpful, but particularly when it comes to dieting, like having that kind of like, and breathe and like will I be okay yes I will it was interesting what you said there about like smelling the food and whatnot I remember my um second prep my pure gym was attached to well like it was right next to Greg's and you know when like you're you're dieting and you're hungry you become so much more sensitive to smells I swear to god I could smell the Greg's in that gym I've never been able to pick up on it ever before but in those last few weeks in between shows I was like am I going mental here like a shark it's awful it's all but you become so much more sensitive all the foods all the colors like i feed jack like my partner uh, so much shit when i'm dieting because i go to the supermarket and be like oh my god those donuts look incredible you have them <laughs> it's weird how people do that isn't it it's yeah weird. i think it's much more of a female thing i think it's something- <laughs> i think so too there, yeah there's something to that there is a female feeder thing when girls are on prep because i've been around yeah. girls on prep and like they want to like feed you up yeah 100% I don't like fully understand what's going on in terms of like a biological sense maybe like you know fattening up the other person so they can like protect the family or something you know like in terms of like that's that's such a plausible argument actually I never thought about it in that way but it's such a thing I remember like my first prep my partner used to work like just up the road from me and uh, I would go to get my steps done but I would go to the shops I'd buy him a bar of chocolate I'd walk up to his shop give him the chocolate and walk back to my work and that's me getting my steps and just an excuse to buy him some junk um yeah I don't know I don't know why but but it's just a thing isn't it (laughs) it is a thing and it's definitely more common in females because I don't think many guys do Um, it's not a guy thing it's not something i've ever done anyway i usually i usually go the opposite way if i'm dieting i want people around me not to eat like like calorie dense junk food yeah like like naturally i just want them to like not eat either yeah i I mean it doesn't bother me anymore but maybe back in the day it would bother me if someone was eating pizza next to me but now you know it's obviously different now you just learn to kind of i i guess it's just remembering kind of i guess coming back to that that thing with hunger and another strategy to to manage it is just remembering that it's a choice that you're making like literally no one is holding a gun to your head you can choose to stop whenever you want and when you give yourself the option and when you reframe it to be a choice rather than an obligation you get to go actually what do I want to do and you go fuck well I don't want to bloody you know go off track here I remember like most I I use that much more with cardio when I'm on prep you know getting on to starting an hour-long cardio session in the morning fasting and thinking fuck my life like I don't want to do this but then it's like well do I want to I've got a choice I can choose not to do it and perhaps if I then, you know, lose a point on stage, I'll be kicking myself or actually I can choose to do it. And what choice do I want to make right now? And irrespective of how grueling it is, choosing to go ahead with the goal and choosing to kind of adhere, choosing to, to persevere with that moment and not react to it immediately. Just it, it just empowers you again. It makes it feel so much more like, well, yeah, I can I can stop this whenever I want to. But do I want to? And it just gives you the option and then it doesn't feel as hard i guess yeah yeah and also another way i think of it as well um going back to like the cardio thing because there's some days where it's really really tough like i had to because i start work quite early i had to get up at 4 a.m quite a lot to do my cardio and it's just four o'clock in january in aberdeen is rough like it is rough but at the time i just convinced myself that that was had i had to do it and um i remember sometimes like getting my lead and the dog was like what are you joking (laughs) You know, like Larry would look at me and be like, no chance, it's minus five outside, you know, and like the ground's covered in snow or whatever. But On like, a good day. <laughs> in my head, what kind of forces me, not just because I'm, I'm highly motivated, but in my head, I have never, ever reflected on it and regretted it. I've yeah. never, ever reflected on a cardio session and be like, you know what, I wish I didn't do that. Mm. So that, that like you know reflection helps me personally that's the way I try and think of it so if I'm struggling for motivation or if I feel really tired which everyone everyone gets that everyone gets that stage I just I try and think of it in that respect okay in retrospect I've never regretted doing this so today I'm going to enjoy the fact that I'm doing it yeah and just knowing like how fucking good it feels after especially after a really hard day when you get to bed and you're like 
I've made it. Like I fucking made it. Like all these moments where I could have just sacked this shit off and I pushed through. And the day after you probably have a really good day and you're like, oh my God, like that wasn't so bad. And then you have another hard day, but you just remember you're like, no, I know how good I'll feel when it, when it comes to the end of it. And almost like small little tricks that can like make you look forward to stuff. Like I remember um, towards the back end of prep, like I was treating my treating myself. I was buying myself like all these like different espresso pods, like the flavored ones. And I'd be like, right, I'm going to have like, you know, this morning when I have a new Nespresso pod thingy to, to taste or at the end of like a training session, I'd be like, right, well, tonight I'll make myself, a, I'll run myself a bath, even though I might not do that in the end, just the thought of like, you know what, well, I'll do something nice for myself at the end of this, if I make it through, which of course you always do, because more often than not, once you're at that point, it's not a matter of like, if, if, if or not, it's just like a when and how, like, how am I going to get this done? Yeah. Um, but yeah, whatever, whatever floats your boat and whatever helps you get through that moment, like it, you know, double down on it for sure. Absolutely. I think we could, we could do another entire episode. Coping mechanisms, motivation, dopamine, endorphins. We could go into oh, that. Right. That's all a massive part of dieting as well. But I think that's going to be long enough for most people um, in terms of this episode. So Thank you very much for listening if you've got this far. And uh, on behalf of the both of us, thank you so much for coming on again, Clara. Anytime. Always a pleasure. Dan, anything you want to say before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. Again, thank you very much, Clara. And thanks if you've made it this far to listening to another episode of Two Pints Water and a Packet Away.